Well, good morning, everyone. I am Debbie Manning. I am part of the Congregational Care Team, along with Jody Fino and Melissa Shazer. And as I think about it, add in Sarah Lightbody leading the worship. I have two words for everyone. Girl power. (laughs) It's so good to be with you guys today. We are starting Advent. It's our first week of Advent, and we are preparing for the celebration of the birth of Jesus, God with us. And I love this time of the year because there's a lot of expectation and anticipation. You know, when we prepare for a worship series, we have a meeting at the beginning of it, and anyone who's involved in it, anyone who's going to be preaching, is invited to the meeting, and we talk about the vision and sort of the direction of where we're going. Well, when we were doing the Advent meeting, I missed it. I was on vacation, missed it. So a few weeks back, I emailed David Hammond, and who's the, you met him here, Director of Worship and Communications, and I asked him to give me some direction. Where are we going with this? And true to how David is, he sent back a detailed email that was really helpful with where we were going. But he ended it with a sentence that made me laugh. And the sentence was, ask Hoodie, she's brilliant. Well, Hoodie is Heather Hood, and many of you know her as our minister of music and worship. And that had me laughing. And of course, I then called Heather Hood, who of course is brilliant, and uh, gave me some great wisdom and direction for this sermon. And I wanted to bring that up because I'm really a believer and giving credit where credit is due. And if you guys walk out of here today and you're thinking, oh my gosh, that message, I hope you're thinking, boy, that Debbie Manning, she sure knows how to use her resources. (laughs) Now, on the other hand, if you walk out today and you're like, Eh, not so much with the message. Heather Hood. (laughs) Anyway, it is awesome to be part of a team that can collaborate and work together, and it it takes a village to make this happen, and that's how we work here, and I love being a part of it. Well, we just finished a series on Moses, and we can picture Moses on the mountaintop overlooking the promised land, looking for that fulfillment of the long-awaited promise that God's people would have a home and that they could be with God and that God would provide for them and protect them. Flash forward a few hundred years and we're with the prophet Isaiah who has a vision of a future where God would be with us and that he would provide hope and healing for God's people. And that's where we'll be all throughout Advent in the book of Isaiah And with all that's going on in our world right now and in our country, it feels so divisive and in our communities and in our own lives, I think this is a great place to land. Because in Isaiah, it's where we hear these words of comfort. And I think for so many of us, we have this yearning for just that, some hope and some comfort. And that's what our text speaks to today is the promise of comfort. We're in the Old Testament, like I said, the book of Isaiah a prophet, a visionary. He was someone who revealed a a life that um, lived for God. It was a God-centered way of seeing and living. And we can look at the book of Isaiah in two parts. First, Isaiah, which is chapters 1 through 39, and that deals with Judah. And God, over and over again, warning his people, repent, repent. 
from your unfaithful ways, but they don't respond, and, and then God sends them into exile. Now, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, it's not described, but in chapter 39, it's anticipated, and in chapter 40, it's assumed. And that's where everything turns in this book, where the tone changes from one of confrontation to one of assurance. In the second half of the book, sometimes referred to as Isaiah of Exile, chapters 40 through 66, that's where our text comes from today. And it speaks directly to the needs and the despair of the people of Judah who now live in Babylonian exile. I love this, that part of this, that this text, it's often used in Advent, in part because the gospel writers used it to communicate what was in their time a very similar instance of unprecedented, unexpected, unearned divine compassion and the entrance of Jesus into the world. And in the Gospels, John the Baptist is the messenger, and Jesus is the one who comes with power and tenderness. And in trying to describe the indescribable, they turn to this passage in Isaiah as a way to illustrate their experience. Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I think comfort is a powerful thing, especially when people's situations are dire. And we see this shift from the first half of the book. God no longer is coming to the people, his people, and warning and judgment. But he's now coming to a people that have been in exile for over 100 years, a people living in misery and despair, traumatized by war and loss. Because of their unfaithfulness to God, they've been stripped of their land, their temple, and their very identity. And while in exile, this is the context, what Isaiah tells them is that God has not forgotten them. God knew exactly what his people needed right then, And after a long period of silence, his first words were that of comfort. Tender words spoken to their heart. God knew of their pain, and he responded, Comfort, comfort my people. Now, I love this. I think it's beautiful. But for me, when I look at this text, it's not so much the promise of comfort. I think Isaiah is saying, Take comfort. Because the promise is that the comforter is coming. And in that, there's a charge for us. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert a highway for our God. Now this is familiar to us because all four Gospels repeat this. John the Baptist points back to Isaiah's words when they're getting ready for the Messiah. But I think in this text, there is a call for us to prepare the way. 
And what Isaiah uses is this road metaphor, this road construction to say, God is coming to get you and bring you out of exile. Prepare the way. The road must be fixed. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain will be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. This is a metaphor. It's based on the rough terrain as one approaches Jerusalem from the east. But it's a metaphor for personal repentance and social change. Isaiah is saying, make the world ready because the Messiah is coming. And I love this imagery of radical transformation of earthly topography. And it's all a prelude to the mind-blowing revelation of the glory of the Lord. Well, preparing the way should be a little easier for us than the ancient Israelites, right? I mean, this was a people that were living in exile. The Messiah hadn't come yet. They didn't even really know what they were looking for. I mean, they're thinking, a king's going to come riding in on a horse. He's going to be a conquering ruler of the kingdom. That's not what Jesus looked like when he came. And when he did come, hundreds of years later, there were many Jews that missed him. Because he wasn't what they expected, and they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who was coming, and they hadn't prepared but not us, right? Over 2,000 years ago, God came to earth. Gosh, we have the benefit of eyewitness accounts. We know the stories. Jesus told us and showed us what it meant to be kingdom people. And on top of all that, he left his Holy Spirit to help guide us and nudge us. So we're people who know how to prepare and if the way, for, the way that we prepare for the coming of the Lord in the Advent season is any kind of evidence of how we prepare for God in our day-to-day life all year round, we've got this, don't we? Or do we? Because I'm going to confess that I can barely remember a Christmas that I haven't been exhausted because I run all Advent season. Gosh, I work at a church and I run, and I buy gifts, and I buy food, and I put our, we put our tree up, and we decorate our house, and we have company, and we're busy, 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 busy. And to be very honest with you, Jesus isn't at the top of my list in Advent. He ends up at the bottom. And I'm going to guess that I am not the only one that that feels like that for. And those traditions, some of them are wonderful, and they're part of our stories and part of who we are, but they cannot be our priority. Our priority. We have to prioritize readying our hearts. And it's not the leftover time that we give to Jesus. It's got to be front and center. But here's the good news, lest you get depressed by my message. The good news is it's the first week in Advent. We got time. We can change things up. And we're going to do that. That's for sure. And I think the real truth is, is that we have far more similarities with those ancient Israelites than we'd like to think. And we might not be in the same physical exile 
Although I think it's important to remember that there are people in this world and in this country that are, but we certainly share the same spiritual exile because we are people who continue to forget our first love and we walk away over and over again from a God who loves us and continues to pursue us. We are people who wander. We are prone to wander. And if you ask me, that sounds an awful lot like the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. We're people in need of Jesus. And I think that despite we know who we're looking for, it's still hard. Because these encounters with God come in ways that sometimes we least expect it. And if we aren't continually preparing our heart and soul, we will miss him. We might not even recognize him. Whew, what a year it's been. Many of you know that this past summer, my husband Steve and I became grandparents for the first time. And uh, my sister passed away after a, an 11-year battle with cancer. And as I was preparing for this message, it struck me how my son Sam and his wife Jenny, there she is with my sister Leslie, just a month before Leslie died and Soren came into the world. But it struck me how their preparation for life and death was so similar. And that the end result for both was the glory of God revealed. Now, my sister certainly had her to-do list, you know, health directives and will and getting things in order, as did Jenny and Sam, painting the baby's room and gathering all that cool gear you get nowadays for babies, reading books, going to classes, and they did all those things, and those are great things. But what was really important, what the real preparation for the birth of this baby and my sister stepping into heaven was a spiritual preparation of the heart. Because here's the deal. The truth was, nothing happened as expected. My sister died months earlier than we thought. She was on a trip visiting us in our home, and she died there. That little baby that they prepared so long for came five days late, 50 hours of labor. But what helped both of those and everyone that got to be part of the story was the preparation of the heart. And it was moments like this where we gathered around and we prayed for one another. It was moments where we celebrated life, whether it was through baby showers or through last gatherings of family events at the end of my sister's life. But it was about the connection to God and one another that was the preparation of the heart. Because the only preparation that mattered was that of the heart and soul, and it's a spiritual preparation. And the regular and intentional connection to God and one another is the prep that matters because in life and death and the day-to-day, that's when we get to see God. That's when we encounter the Lord. Now, when my sister died and I sat at her bedside, there was this incredible moment that was beyond anything any of us could have hoped or imagined. But we got to see God and his glory revealed. And it was beautiful. And it had nothing to do with getting everything done. It had everything to do with this. 
And likewise, when our little Soren was born, and I looked into that little baby's eyes, woof, the glory of God is revealed in this new life. And it blew us all away, and we could have never been fully prepared for that. Because God always shows up in ways beyond us. And in the day-to-day, this same God shows himself to us. And if we don't pause along the way, if we don't clear our minds, if we don't have regular practices where we are connecting to the Creator, we will miss him. So I kind of gave you the why, why it's important to prepare the way. But what about the how? How do we make room for God in our life? How do we prepare for the presence of God, that encounter with God? Revelation chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the works you did at first. You know, in the scripture, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, who once was intense and so in love with Jesus. And they had forgotten their first love. They had wandered away from that first love. But Revelation, I think they provide us with three practices that we can use to prepare for his presence. And the first one is to remember. The practice of remembering. We have to pause. We have to stop. We have to set aside time. Not at the end of the day when we don't have anything left over, but at the beginning. And then we do it throughout the day and we remember and we connect to God and we're filled then with gratitude for our creator and all the gifts. And then we have to repent. And repenting entails sort of a hard look at ourselves and an honest look. What are the things that are keeping me separate from God and one another? And then we confess that. And when we do those things, we return. We turn ourselves back the one who loves us, and that's when the radical transformation happens. And it is a beautiful thing. So as we leave today, maybe we ask ourselves, what's blocking the path? What's the distraction? What's stopping us from keeping Jesus front and center? And here's what I love, you guys. That kind of sounds big, right? But we could start it in Advent. That sounds doable. We could commit to one practice, one practice of pausing, of stopping, of staying centered with our God. We can reset the whole tone of Advent. And then our hope and prayer would be that it would reset our life and then reset our year. And when we reset who we are, this is what happens. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. This text is often described as a tack word of comfort, a word of tenderness after a very long, dark night of exile. And while that's true, I don't think the real promise is a promise of comfort, a comfort to come. I think the real promise is in the comforter who already came. And we have a role to play. We have a charge, and that charge is to prepare 
to prepare ourselves for those encounters for God. And it's not for our sake, but it's for the world's sake and it's for his sake. The gospel is the good news that Isaiah talks about. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. And either we prepare and expect to experience the comfort and hope of the God who revealed himself in the Bible and in the person of Jesus Christ, or we will miss it. Pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we come before you, Lord, humbly, convicted. And we need you. We need you to help us to remember and to repent and to return. God, we pray that maybe we might have a fresh start this Advent. That with your help, we could keep Jesus front and center. And as your glory is revealed, it's not just to us, but it's to a world. A world who needs it. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.